Hey guys, we're back for part two. It's uh, I'm Jacob. This yeah, is yeah, I'm Brandon. <laughs> yeah, this is Brandon again. Sorry about that little mix up. We're getting used to things. Uh, we're gonna like talk about more like the Knicks internal roster. We got some extensions that we're gonna that we're gonna talk about a little bit. You know, Obi and those guys are are eligible quickly. Josh Hart. We got a lot to uh, lot to go over. So I'll, I'll kick it to you, man. Like, how do you want to? Uh, you know, what do you want to dive into here first? Like, you, like give us a uh, an opening statement. I mean, look with, with the Knicks roster, they do have more internal decisions than external in the sense of, as we discussed, part one, which you guys will be seeing, Knicks don't really have a ton of cap room right now. Knicks don't really have that same cap flexibility, the same roster flexibility that they've had in years previous. They're more in that line of, they're a team that's heading towards contention. They have guys with pretty expensive contracts and they're going to have to work some things out and work some things around. So I think there's no better place to start in terms of that than Emmanuel Clickley, because this has been an ever-changing, ever-ongoing discussion for the majority of this year. Started at one number. It started at the sense of, are the Knicks even going to extend them? That eventually evolved into, okay, what do the Knicks need to pay quickly in order to have him for the long term? So my, my perspective with this is, it really comes down to price. What is quickly asking for? And what does the team feel comfortable with? And can that bridge be gapped? So I would personally look for that, a, a contract a little less than RJ Barrett's, a contract where you're not giving quickly the max, but you're getting pretty close to it. Because I feel like he's an invaluable part of this team. He's a guy that, He's leading your second unit. He has shown that he's grown as a player. Bossing out the bad playoff stuff, which that does play a bit of a factor. He was one of the most important players on this Knicks roster in the past year. As we said before, he is one of the guys that really led this charge to help the Knicks get in this position that they were this year to win that first playoff series. So you need to keep him around, in my opinion. On the other hand, you also can't overpay him because you have other guys on this roster that you need to worry about. So tossing it back to you, Jacob, do you think I'm on the right path with this or are you leaning maybe towards get this extension done at, at any cost possible? No, I, I definitely think you're all, you're, you're on the right, you're on the right track with this. Like Emmanuel quickly at this stage, like today is a very complicated and interesting situation. Because he had the brilliant regular season where he was second and sixth man. A lot of people think he should have won it. He was like their third best offensive option by far, like in the regular season. My question when it comes to the playoffs, and it's something that I've kind of tossed around, but I haven't fully like dived into, is I wonder, you know, his numbers in disparity from when they were from when he was coming off the bench. And then games that he started were legitimately like drastic. Like it's it's noticeable. It, it's different. He was much better when he was starting in games than when he was coming off the bench. The Knicks didn't start him once. Like they 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 floated around between Hart and Grimes. Really rode the Josh Hart thing even like past the point of no return in that Miami series. And then eventually Tibbs just played Grimes forty eight minutes because he had to. But my question is if 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 quickly was healthy. Would maybe he have gotten a start in that Miami series? And if that had happened, would he would his game ha would he have played differently? 
because it, it is a legitimate thing with him that he is better as a starter than he has been coming off the bench. That's just a fact. But he was their third best offensive player, as you know, as we've alluded to. He's a very important piece of this team. He's a guy that was drafted by the Knicks. He's gotten better every single year of his career. And there's something to that where it's a guy that you don't ever want to risk, you know, not being here while he's still on his, you know, upward climb and, and his ascension. You know, he's definitely not a max guy. You know, when I think of Emmanuel quickly, I think of somebody between the 20 to $25 million a year range, which is, you know, RJ Barrett fell at $23 million a year. So if you're telling me that that quickly is a uh, 21, 22, somewhere in there, like I'm with it. If they have to overpay him a little, if it's closer to 25, I'm okay with that too. Like this is a player that I still see a ton of upside for. I still think that he's on his ascension. You know, I, I'm as disappointed with how he played in the postseason as anybody. You would you would have expected more. But I also think there's something to the the way that he was played in the playoffs. Um, that is something worth talking about because the numbers just don't lie on how much better he was as as a starter this year than he was coming off the bench. Yeah, I mean, we can we could also discuss in the sense, and I, it's a valid point. How much did Thibodeau play in the role of quickly not f- playing like that the entire year? You know, how much does the ever-changing nature of someone's role, going from starter to bench, back to starting, back to bench, like, can't ever get in a rhythm. So I'm with you. I think that the Knicks need to keep him, but it's just a matter of I feel like you can't get past that 25 mil range. No, like you can't. no, that's my that's my ceiling. Yeah, you can't twenty to twenty five. Because I, I, but it also goes to the point. I don't want to get quickly to the point where now you're letting the free market decide what he's worth. Now you're letting a team overpay him. Now you're having to make the decision: Are we paying quickly? Let's say twenty eight per year, or are we letting him walk for nothing? That's what you can't let happen. So I think it's a very interesting dilemma that the Knicks are in with this player. I think he stays. I think he gets the extension. I think out of all the guys or most of the guys that have this question mark around them, I feel like quickly is one of the two probably locks that are getting that extension because he showed how important he is to this roster. Let's not forget, Thibodeau loves the guy. He plays him all the time. And I think, like you said as well, he only has room to get better. And I think he's going to continue that ascension as a player. The next guy I'm going to toss out, I think this is probably the most interesting one to me because we'll get to him in a little bit. I think the Josh Hart conversation is easy. I truly do. And I also think, in a sense, the, the Miles McBride conversation is easy. This obviously leaves us with Obi Toppin, who I think is the biggest question mark on this roster because of the way his Knicks career has been handled to this point. Let's face it, this guy was supposed to be your four of the future. He was. That's what he was drafted as. The Knicks, and we discussed this as well prior, the Knicks didn't expect Julius Randle to be what he is now. They expected him to be a trade piece. They expected him to be off the roster right away. And then the Knicks got into the playoffs. And the entire plan shifted. This is a guy that has not gotten the playing time I felt like he's deserved. It's not the guy that has gotten the right role I feel like he deserves. 
And I truly feel that if he got the opportunity with the Knicks in the right spots, I think he would be a very useful player. Not saying a superstar, not saying, oh, he's going to immediately match what Randall gave to the team. But I feel he'd be a very useful, very helpful contributor to the team. But how can you extend a guy that is more questions than answers at this point? I listen, I, I'm totally with you. And like another thing about Obi Toppin, like you you see the talent, right? Like the guy can shoot. The guy's great in transition. Like he can get to the rim. He doesn't have much of a handle, but you know, whatever, it's par for the course. You see the moments defensively. If he was on a team where he was playing 27, 28, 29, 30 minutes a night, you would see more development in his game. The knock on Obi Toppin is that he's essentially the same player today as he was the day the Knicks drafted him, which is not his fault because he doesn't get the playing time. And I understand why there's an all NBA forward in front of him. I, I, I like, I, I get it. And I, I, I'm of the mindset that Obi Toppin for a 10, 15 game spurt, if Julius Randle is hurt, it, you know, has the capability of balling. He has that upside, but over the course of a full season and the playoffs, like, I'm not sure if he's, you know, gonna ever, you know, I'm not sure if he's ever going to be a top three player on like a really meaningful team like that. But to your point, you know, he's got the talent, he has the upside, and he is somebody that kind of like RJ Barrett is never going to back down. He is not, he is not afraid of the moment at all. He comes, you know, in game six against Miami, he comes off the bench and for a second there, he hits those back-to-back threes and you're like, wow, this is the guy that's going to saddle up next to Jalen Brunson and get this thing home for us. It didn't work out, but it just shows you the the character of Obi Toppin. He is not afraid. And when you are get into these playoff series against these better, you know, these these well coached, tougher teams that the like like the Miami Heat were, you need people that aren't afraid. Look at the 76ers. James Harden was terrified to go into Boston in game seven. Joel Embiid, you know, the on the back half of game six and in game seven wasn't there they weren't feeling the moment and maybe that was maybe that was coaching I know that that's a sports cliche the moment feeling the I get all that but in some cases you just see it and with Obi Toppin you just see it you just see that he's never going to back down you just see that he's not afraid at all of the moment he he embraces everything like it and if I was him I would be so frustrated with the not getting playing time you know, you see that more from his fans than honestly, than you see it from him, which I think really speaks to him. It's somebody that you want on the team, but I don't know if it makes sense for him to want to be here. And I don't know if it makes sense. Like, like what's the number that you give Obi Toppin? Like as I'm trying to like wrap my brain around, like what a potential Obi Toppin contract would look like. I'm struggling with it. You're probably looking at like, for what he's shown, maybe 10 per year, maybe 12 per year. But it's like, are you giving that to a guy? Like we said, is more questions than answers. Yeah. I feel I feel like unfortunately, the reality for Obi Toppin, unless there is a trade that involves Julius Randle, Toppin's gonna be the guy included in the package. He's gonna be the guy that is shipped out of town for a guy that improves the current iteration of the Knicks. And I'm I'm personally not a fan of that. But at the same time, you know, y- you can't you can't get the answer right now. And you don't want to lose a guy like that for nothing if you're gonna end up losing him. You don't want to let him just walk for literally no asset whatsoever. 
that's not a guy you're going to do a sign and trade for. He's not that type of player yet. Right. So it's just, it's a very interesting situation in the sense of he has the talent to be a very key contributor for an NBA team, as we said, but it's the potential. It's the possibility that hasn't been shown yet. So I'm very interested to see what the Knicks do in that sense. What what would you do in that spot? Are you including him in a package? I mean, I am because, you know, it's kind of the obvious thing to do because, like you said, there's more questions than answers. And at the end of the day, if I'm going to get, you know, a, a player like that, of course, like there's not much hesitation for me to throw OB into a, uh, into a deal because my thoughts on him are I don't really see him as – this big time player on a, on a real contending team. I kind of think, you know, my big, what if with Obi Thompson is had they traded for Donovan Mitchell and Obi had gone to Utah, what would it look like for Obi? Because I think he's more the guy that puts up 22, 23 a night for maybe like a, a play in team type of type of situation for him, which like the Knicks aren't in that situation. There's no space for him to like, really develop and grow especially if they're going to keep Randall which we've discussed at length like as much as everybody wants to trade Julius Randall that perfect trade might not be there and if it's not there there's no point in doing it so yeah if anybody calls and says all right we're going to need Obi Toppin in this trade it's like okay and like yeah like without hesitation I'm putting Obi Toppin in the trade because that's the stage that we are at with Obi Toppin right now yeah, I, I completely agree with you on that. And that brings us to player number three, Josh Hart. Look, I'm going to make this short and easy for myself. I'm keeping Josh Resign Hart. Resign him. Resign uh, him. There's no question. He was he was the catalyst when he got here at the deadline. He was that missing piece that you know brought them to, to this place defensively, offensively. And during the regular season, even in the Cavs series, every time they need – he's not a shooter, but every time they needed him to hit a big shot, it seemed like he found a way to hit that big shot. Like, he's somebody that – again, he's somebody that you want on this team. Like, I think the rapport with, you know, team chemistry is something that's both over-talked about and under-talked about. And I think the rapport that he has with Jalen Brunson is really important. Like, that's his guy. Like, there, there's nobody on this team that Jalen Brunson wants to go to battle with more than Josh Hart. And he's a guy that, that you trust. And he's a guy that Tibbs trusts, most importantly, with three minutes to go in a close game. That's his guy. And, like, I don't think you I don't think you just let that guy walk out the door after half a season. Yeah, and uh, honestly, contract-wise, I think 15 per year. 15 to, like, I'd say max 18 per year. That's the range I'm looking at. Probably a four-year deal similar to the length of Brunson's current deal. I'm keeping him, though. I'm not letting him leave the building. He proved how much he was worth to this team. And I think you keep him in the building. He's going to keep that same mentality, that same mantra. It's going to give the Knicks that same identity that identity that they had in 2021, lost in 2022, but regained in 2023 as a tough, hard-nosed, gritty basketball team. And you also, you can't just let talented basketball players just walk out the building. I agree. I think, you know, contract-wise, I think four for 64 sounds perfect to me. 16 a year, you know, if if he's looking for a little more, maybe you give him a player option in that fourth year, you know, and, and if you do that, we're hoping he opts out. That means that it went great, you know, fancy player options, and they're like, oh, so the contract is, listen, you're hoping he opts out. That means that his value 
increase. That means that good things happened. You know, four for 64 with a player option in the fourth year seems like the perfect deal for both for both sides. I can't imagine that Josh Hart wants to leave like this. The, the back half of this of this uh, season has been some, you know, maybe the best and most impactful stretch of Josh Hart's career. Like he's got a real like role on this team, a real role. Like he's played for four different teams already. This is a chance for a little stability, a place to grow. The the coach, I don't think is going anywhere unless unless the Knicks trade unless in some world. Which listen, it could. I'm not saying it's going to happen. It probably won't. But this is the NBA. We could wake up one day and somebody we never thought about has demanded a trade. You know, and unless the Knicks get that mega 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 superstar, that's like I'm not playing for Tibbs then this coach isn't going anywhere. He's just not. He's their guy. They've stuck with him through thick and thin, and there's been plenty of both. And they've made the playoffs twice in three years. He's had a better sustained run, hilariously, than a lot of Knicks coaches throughout our lifetime. Like, he's not going anywhere. And, and, and if the coach trusts Josh Hart, then that's what matters. And Josh Hart's going to be here because of that. And unless Joel Embiid decides to wake up one day and uh, break the internet by saying, I'm playing for the Knicks or I'm playing for nobody, then let's be honest, I'm not the biggest Thibodeau fan. But it's also like, all right, same same thing with Randall. You fire Thibodeau, who are you bringing in? And do what? And 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 do do what? what? And I think Thibodeau, you know, for all of his faults, you know, his stubbornness, at times, his his reluctance to to stretch the floor and to have a stretch five, his reluctance to kind of advance to the modern NBA for all of his faults. His teams play hard, his teams play defense, and his teams get to the playoffs, which is more than you can say for the 21st century history of the New York Knicks. And that's a fact. You know, it sucks that uh, my basketball team has the same problem as my baseball team. Stubborn coaches. It's just... Absolutely fantastic. But that brings us to the last guy in terms of extension talk. Like I said, but Hart, this one's pretty easy for me. Miles McBride. I'm probably not. Uh, like, like, like I like McBride. I like what he brings to this table. You can find that somewhere else. I just, I'd love to see him develop more. But, like, let's face it. The minutes he showed, not regular season, but playoffs, he was kind of getting exposed. In the sense of that, at, at least on the offensive side of things, I feel like defensive wise he can bring value, but until that offensive game improves for him, he's not a guy that I'm jumping to extend. To me, with, with Deuce McBride, you know, I I get the fact that some fans love him, you know, because because the defense, he was a second round pick. You're rooting for him, but all you need to know about Deuce McBride is that. In game six of Miami, Jalen Brunson played 45 minutes and was a plus three. So in three minutes against the Heat, Miles McBride was a minus seven. Like, that is almost hard to wrap your head around. Like, how much he was exposed in the playoffs. He doesn't have any sort of offensive game that's reliable, that's consistent. He's not a guy that can play 25 minutes in the NBA, he's barely cracking the rotation. Like if there's money that can be saved to to go get a shooter, which this team desperately needs in any way, shape or form, unfortunately, Miles McBride is the type of casualty that might have to happen. 
He's probably like the back end of he's honestly for me, he's probably the back end guy in the package in a trade. Yeah. He's probably he's probably like, okay, we're getting a, a star. It's RJ Obian. Yeah, we'll toss in Miles McBride too. Yeah. That's on that's unfortunately what he is right now for this roster. And honestly, I I don't feel like there's that much more to discuss with it. So with the extensions covered for this team. We kind of talked about it on part one, but I feel like it'd be good to get into, to wrap up this part, part two, really get into, you know, what's one or two moves that you would make? What's something with the roster or a free agent that you would a hundred percent make? And how is that, at least in your opinion, going to impact the Knicks going into next season? So I'll toss the ball to you. Sure. What's, uh, uh, yeah. I mean, like, uh, you know, Charlotte mentioned Dante DiVincenzo. I'm kind of interested in one of his teammates that was floated around sort of at the deadline, the guy like Grayson Allen, who's not going to cost you that much. The bit, the bits and pieces that you would have to trade for him are not that, you know, are not that extensive. He's only being paid $8 million this year. Like there's a way to get to that very easily. That's kind of a, an easy fit into the rotation. That's a three and D guy. You know, that's the type of move that, that I'm looking to make. If you're looking for, a little bit bigger of a move, you know, it, depending on what Toronto decides to do, if there's an OGN and OB availability there or something like that, that would again be, be interesting. Um, there, there are a lot of interesting moves, but in terms of what they're actually going to do, their goal this off season to me, and I think you agree on this is to, is to mix and match some of the pieces in the rotation and in the lineup to stretch the floor. This is not to me as much as a lot of people want to, you know, say that it's going to be Un unless in the world that Joel Embiid doesn't like who the Sixers decided to hire and says, get me the hell out of here. And the Knicks are like, great, you can have RJ, you can have Obi, you can have Deuce, you can have the picks, you can, you know, you, whatever, name your price, you know, unless something like that happens, I think you're looking at more fringe moves. I think the core is coming back next year. And you're just looking to to mix and match pieces that give you that extra layer of shooting, that extra layer of, you know, offensive game off the bench so that when you get into a dogfight series, you know, and the Heat don't seem to be missing any threes and Max Struess and Gabe Vincent, Gabe Vincent's another name I'm very interested in this offseason, you know, are, are hitting threes. You have your guys that are randomly hitting threes as well. That's what they were missing. And that's what they should be looking to get this offseason. 1000%. You know, lo looking at what I would really do. It's like the, the bright, the bright neon lights right here. Add shooting. That it's that's what it comes down to. You know, last episode we mentioned Gary Trent Jr. as well. I feel like that'd be an incredible add for this team, three and D. Looking a bit more internally. You looked at some of the external stuff. I'll look a bit more internally in the sense of I'm maybe looking to upgrade at center. And that says nothing to Mitchell Robinson and what he brings to the table because I really enjoy Mitchell Robinson. But maybe you're looking to upgrade that position in order to add more shooting, space the floor a little bit more. Well, Actually, my question, yeah, my question, I don't mean to cut you off, but my question with the, with the, the upgraded center is like, you know, we've talked about Tibbs. We know, like, we know Tibbs. Tibbs is not going to put a, a center on the floor that is not a rim-protecting center. 
Tibbs is not going to do it. There is a reason that his two guys were Hartenstein and they were Mitchell Robinson. They are the type of center that Tom Thibodeau is, is more comfortable with and more accustomed to. And I, I, I would love the idea of a stretch five. I would, you know, of course, everybody would. When the, you know, in the playoffs, when teams are starting to build the wall and say, we're not letting Jalen Brunson and RJ Barrett get to the basket, you're going to have to beat us with shooting. It would have been nice to pull your center out of the middle of the floor and to create the space that way, of course. But I just look at this coach and I say, we know what he likes. We have a, a decade plus sample size dating back to his days in Chicago where he is not about that style of basketball and he is not going to put a center on the floor that he does not think is, is going to be a dominant force in the paint. Basically that narrows it down to Joel Embiid and, and Nikola Jokic. <laughs> and you're probably not getting either of those guys. Like I said, it's a wish list. We're not <laughs> saying this is exactly what's going to happen. It's something I would love to see though. And you're right. In terms of Tibbs, probably isn't going to make an addition at center. But it's something I would love to see because I know what it would do for the rest of this roster and it would actually allow the downhill players to continue to get downhill. And- I mean, listen, I'm, I'm all for it. I just, I, <laughs> you know, like, listen, I, I, you mentioned, you know, the Mets. I'm also a Mets fan. Tibbs and Buck, they, they don't like kids and they, you know, they don't like to 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 advance you know and to kind of catch up like this is just one of Tibbs's things that we have to live with with this guy being the coach he wants a, an old school center he wants a guy that is going to block shots and get rebounds and he does not care whether or not that guy can shoot like if if Mitchell Robinson's free throw shooting percentage proved nothing else to you it should prove that Tibbs does not care whether or not his center can shoot he cares that he can be a dominant force in the paint. And if Tibbs is going to continue to be the coach of this team, it's just something that we as Nick fans might have to live with. I guess I'll have to bite the bullet on that one. But looking more internally as well, uh, definitely would extend quickly. We mentioned that. Definitely ex- uh, re-signing Hart. I personally would look to trade Randall. Comes down to what we talked about. For what? If I'm not getting the value back in return, I'm not trading him. And then it really comes down to RJ. I want to keep him because I want, and like I said before, I want to see him on a team with more shooting, on a team where he can be free to attack downhill. I feel like that makes him the best version of himself. And I want Obi to play more. I mean, even if he even if he doesn't get extended, right? I want him to play more, raise his value. Show what he can do, and maybe that leads to him getting an extension. Maybe that leads to him being a key rotational piece here. But at the end of the day, you have to play the guys that are here and give them a chance if they have the talent, and Obi has shown that he has the talent to produce. And then outside of that, I'm hoping for a superstar to shake free. I'm not banking on it. I'm banking on Shoring up the roster to allowing the pieces that are here to have the most potential to produce and the best opportunities to produce. Because I feel like if you do that and you maximize the talent of you have that you already have on the roster by shoring up the, the pieces, aka shooting, that you need to add, I think this Knicks team is still very good. So 
that leaves us with a few minutes left. Is there anything else you want to touch on? I mean, it, it's we, we still we still got the NBA playoffs going on. Yeah. So I any mean, other like, stuff? Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll just say quickly, like if we wake up in the world where Joel Embiid or Jalen Brown or somebody like that is guys that he, they're on the table, then me and Brandon will come back here and we'll pitch every hypothetical trade, every trade package. We'll talk about how it'll fit. You know, we'll have a day with it. But until that day comes, we have to look at look at this offseason as more of a touch-up, fringe moves, you know, re- mix and match, kind of restructure the roster type of offseason rather than a mega-trade offseason. Um, but we do have one series going on and an NBA Finals coming up. And I listen, I... I said after game four, you know, and I was half kidding when I was like, it's kind of a bad omen. Jeter and A-Rod are in the building. But I, I flew up I flew up to New York the other day, and on my flight I was watching the four days in October 30 for 30. And I, I just came away with that, and as stupid as this sounds, I was like, they're going to do it. And if any team in NBA history would do it, it's this incredibly – It would be the Celtics. This incredibly inconsistent – talented, frustrating, just as an objective basketball fan, frustrating, like, you know it's in there. Like, on paper and talent-wise, they're the best team left. Like, 1 through 10, their rotation, they're the best team left. And you know it's in there. You know they're capable of it. There's a reason that, they were, that they've been favored in every single game of this series, and they're favored again in Game 6 in Miami. You know, that you know that it's in there somewhere. But the question is, can they find it and can they sustain it for long enough? And when their back has been against the wall last year in Milwaukee, game six in Philadelphia, game seven this year, that team just comes through for whatever reason. Now, they're going up against another team that comes through. Boston still hasn't really won a close game down the stretch. If it gets tight in game six, are they going to be able to out-execute in the last three minutes Miami? That I don't know. And, and, And probably not. But if there is a team that could that if there was ever a team that could do it, that could come back from 3-0 against this tough, greatly coached Miami team, it's this version of the Boston Celtics. And by the way, even if they got through this, knowing them, they could go on and they could lose to Denver and we'd still be having the same questions about Missoula and Jalen Brown. That could happen a week from now, even if they beat Miami. It's just the nature of that team. It's... First of all, if I'm the Heat and I saw that, I would have literally called timeout. Then, like, A-Rod, Jeter, I'm sorry you have to leave immediately. <laughs> Just literally the worst omen possible. It, like, sheer coincidence, you're playing a Boston team, you're up 3-0 in a series, and now all of a sudden there's potential, hey, if Boston wins this next game, now it's game seven of Boston. It's just, I, I don't... Well, game, I don't like game seven heat. refs. I, game seven refs. Kurt Schilling, Dave Robertson, and uh, and Big Poppy. Let's go. I don't. I, I don't. I don't even want to think about it because I don't like Miami, but I, I I don't like Boston even more. But you know, I personally think Denver is going to win the championship because Denver has basically showed me that they are the most well-rounded team left in these playoffs. They are consistent. They are talented and. They're just a very good basketball team. And that's, for me, that's the level I want the Knicks to get to. That that consistent, every guy playing their role and no, and their superstars being superstars, their role players being role players, and it all 
meshes together to be a very talented basketball team. That's the goal. That has to be the goal. Yeah. And listen, for, for Denver, you know, for Denver specifically, if Jamal Murray's going to play like this, the way he played in the last series, and if Michael Porter Jr. can stay healthy, like those guys are the second and third best players on title teams. Like that's what that looks like. And as we talk about Julius Randle, RJ Barrett, Emmanuel quickly, you know, I said uh, on here that I didn't think Obi Toppin would ever be like a top three guy on an important team. As you're watching these, you know, as you're watching these series, these next two series play out, think about it. Think about what those two teams, what those teams have that the Knicks don't. Think about what their second and third guys look like. Think about what their bench looks like, what their roster construction looks like, because that's what wins championships in the modern NBA. There's, there is a formula, you know, as much as we love this gritty, grindy, you know, defensive Nick team. And, uh, you know, I, we did. I, I, this was a great season. Like, I love this team. There is a certain formula that wins in the NBA. And as you're watching, particularly Denver, Denver fits the formula. They've got their superstar. They've got their second guy. They've got their third guy that's capable of going off on any night. Jamal Murray is capable of going off on any night. They've got shooters. They've got Jeff Green. They've got Morris coming off the bench. And they've got a coach that's willing to adjust, you know, in-game, on the fly. Like, that is what a championship team looks like. I think you nailed 100%. And I think that brings us to the end of part two, episode two, what whatever you want to call it. Brings us to the end of this episode. Thank you guys for joining us. My, myself and Jacob are very excited to be doing this. It's going to be an ex- insanely fun year. You know, this Knicks team, we're, they're on the upswing. And it's going to be a blast to cover them. And personally, I'm just really excited to, to get this rolling. I can't wait, you guys. This is going to be a great. I can't, you know, I can't wait to connect with you guys and for, for us to build this together. Um, we'll catch you guys next time. This has been amazing. Thank you guys so much for listening to parts one and two or episodes one and two. Uh, thank you guys. We'll catch you guys next time.